Hi, everyone. Just a quick note before we jump into the show here. I had some technical difficulties with the production of this week's show. The audio that you're going to hear is a recording of our online meeting audio, which is not what we normally use. So the quality is not going to be up to our usual standards, but I hope you'll enjoy the show nevertheless, and things will be back to normal next week. Thanks for listening. This episode of Literary Treks is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 150,000 titles for your desktop or mobile device. To get a free audiobook of your choice, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. Also, help us keep Star Trek discussion coming to you each day by becoming a Trek FM patron through Patreon. Get access to exclusive content and become part of the team. You'll find all the details at patreon.com slash trekfm. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash trekfm. Hey everyone, I'm Rod Roddenberry, and you're listening to Trek FM. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Literary Treks, our dedicated books and comics show. I'm Christopher Jones, and joining me today, as he is every single week, is my esteemed co-host, who is today apparently a Romulan companion, Mr. Matthew Rushing. Matthew, um, tell me a little bit about this Romulan companion service you're providing. Oh, uh, Chris, not providing a service. Um, that's, you know, when they have those ads of what you're looking for. Uh-huh. Just was looking for a Romulan. Oh, you're companion. looking for a Romulan yeah. companion? Yeah, okay. exactly. No, I'm just kidding. No, uh, Chris, <laughs> it's, uh, <laughs> it goes with what we're going to talk about in uh, our uh, comics look today at uh, The Hollow Crown. And so, uh, great series by John Byrne. But, uh, Please, Chris, uh, don't make me look bad in front of everybody listening. <laughs> all right, all right. I, I will. I will move away from this subject and talk about <laughs> some of the foul deeds that you have been doing since we last recorded. As well, wait a minute. No, no, those aren't your foul deeds. Those are apparently Greg Cox's foul deeds. And the first thing we're going to talk about in news today is foul deeds will rise as we judge it by its cover. Judging a book by its cover because that's what we do. Yeah, Chris, Matthew, it's that time again. I'm waiting, actually. I'm waiting for you to do your Taylor Swift version of Judge a Book by its cover. We are like never going to look at that cover again. Like ever. Is that Parentheses ever, ever. Ever, ever. Because <laughs> that cover is mean. That's right. I'm going to badmouth all all the covers I've ever looked at in the past. That's right. Uh, because this, I was made for this cover. <laughs> I'm just doing titles from Taylor Swift songs. So if anybody out there actually knows Taylor Swift, they'll know what I'm talking about. But right. Chris, that's not what we're here to talk about. We're here to talk about Foul Deeds Will Rise. And the cover did come out. And we are going to judge that book by its cover because that's what we do here on Literary Treks. And Chris, give me your first 
thoughts on the new foul diesel rides cover? Well, you know, when I look at covers, I look at the design of them and I also think about how they connect with what I'm expecting from the story. So from a design standpoint, I love the background textures. I love the green and sort of the the turquoise shading of the cover. And it's got Kirk and Spock in the maroon jackets, which are my favorite Star Trek uniforms. And, and actually, you can barely see it behind the planet, but Kirk, he, he's got it popped open on the front, you know, so you can see the white underneath like he likes to do, which I also love. So in that respect, I love the cover. But foul deeds will rise. I don't know. I, I'm really not quite sure what the cover's setting up for me in the book. Yeah, Chris, um, I do like this cover. I, I think it is sufficiently exciting. And the reason is, just like you, those maroon jackets, man, it's good to see those again. I mean, just a fantastic uniform. Probably, you know, I guess next to the First Contact Deep Space Nine uniforms, mm-hmm. this is my favorite uniform set. I mean, it's just, just it was a brilliant uniform. Um, probably not the most practical uniform for Starfleet no. or Explorers. Yeah. Yeah. But it looks so good. Now, Chris, uh, I did notice, uh, does this Kirk look a little bit like uh, the Kirk from Star Trek Two to you? Because to me, he mm-hmm. really does. He, he does. That, Check out his hair. Yeah, he's got that kind of like more curly perm type hair there. Well, perms uh, were, were real big in the 80s. Matthew that's true. Guys, that's so. true. Even for the shot. Yeah. <laughs> but I do like I want to see cover. Spock with a perm. Oh, gosh. Well, I think I've a got a Photoshop guy. project in my future with this cover right here. This this is true. What would a Vulcan look like with with a perm? And and, and I feel like Vulcan hairdressers, you know, I, they only wear you know really one or two cuts. But uh, <laughs> you know, a permist, I feel like they'd just be out of work. Yeah. On, well, on, I can see. On, you know, on, on Vulcan, they have those Idal Sassoon commercials with the apostrophe <laughs> yeah. after the V. <sighs> oh gosh uh this is a great cover though um and just for the for the maroon jackets and and knowing we're going to be in the movie era uh i'm excited to see where we go yeah so i guess we should tell everyone a little bit about what the story is going to be it's set in the year 2288 the enterprise a is on a vital peacekeeping mission in a remote solar system beyond the boundaries of the federation where two warring planets pavak and oyolo are attempting to end years of bitter conflict. So we know then that this is after the search for Spock, after the voyage home, in fact, because it is mm-hmm. the Enterprise A. But but Kurt kind of, he had the curly hair all through that time period there. So uh, they're going to go and try to help these two warring worlds. Crucial peace talks are being conducted aboard the Enterprise. <laughs> Sounds like the Enterprise D, doesn't it? oh gosh please please let's not have anybody crash the enterprise in this book (laughs) i'm just you know bring the diplomatics aboard have a staff meeting on the ship you know so staff meeting it says that um this is happening even as starfleet weapons inspectors oversee the disarmament process losses and atrocities on both sides have left plenty of hard feelings behind so captain james t kirk has his work cut out for him even as he unexpectedly runs into a disturbing figure from his past, Lenore Caridian. 
Yeah, this is... Uh, she's the daughter is, of Kodos, the executioner. Exactly, which I think is, is going to be something that's really interesting, uh, you know, because all of this is going to end with two worlds hanging in balance. And I'm super excited, Chris. Uh, kind of the, the things that we're going to bring back, you know, here with Kodos, the executioner, and um, getting to see the Enterprise in this time period, I think is really great. There's There's a whole you know, part between Star Trek four, five, and six, where there really is a lot open. I mean, you know, five happens right after four, you know, that literally the Enterprise is still being worked on. It's not ready yet. But of course, it's the only starship in the, you know, the system right. yeah. that can handle the situation, even though it's in shambles. And then, you know, they just kind of go. And then they're about to retire in six. So there's a probably, I would think, a good 10, 20 year period there where Maybe less than twenty years, but there's probably a good ten-year period there, there with enterprises out there doing some really important things. Right, right. Uh, so I, I am really glad that we're going to be getting more books here, and I'm excited to see what what Greg Cox does. He does really know the TOS characters, and I'm excited to see how he writes them in this movie era. Has anyone ever written a book where we find out how Scotty and Uhura break up? After the final frontier. Chris, is that a book that anybody needs to have written? I mean, I just, there's some things just, I think that we don't need filled in. <laughs> I'm just thinking about the things that must have happened between Star Trek five and six that we don't know about. He was out with Kirk, ran into some Orions, couldn't help himself. Sora <laughs> finds out. She runs off a of Spock. I guess. All right. i don't know (laughs) we'll put a link in the show notes so you can go see the cover as well all right before we go to the next story we have a little programming note here uh i realized after editing last week's show that for some reason i had convinced myself that the book that takes place on ds9 and the slings and arrows series where we find out why Jordy got rid of his visor and got the ocular implants that we see in First Contact was titled The Oppressor's Wrong. But actually, The Oppressor's Wrong was the book before that in the Slings and Arrows series. It's actually the insolence of office that we were talking about. So if you listen to last week's show, every time we keep saying The Oppressor's Wrong, we meant the insolence of office. So we just wanted to let you know so that if you're going back to look at the book and going, there's nothing in here about Jordy's visor, I was a little confused. So I just wanted to point that out. It does happen to us. (laughs) We read so many (laughs) stories and comics, trying to keep it all together. I scrolled back. Older guys, okay, give us a break. I scrolled back in the shows to see when we talked about the oppressors wrong and the insolence of office. And it was back in... I think March and January going backwards. So yeah, my brain just had been flooded with other things since then. So anyway, so Matthew, the last thing we have in news today is something that I just found out about this morning because listener Eric Cohn tagged you and me both in a discussion thread on Facebook. And along with us, Roberto Orsi's name was tagged. And I thought, who's tagging me with Roberto Orsi? You know, I'm, I'm just this podcast guy. So I had to go find Chris, out come what on. was going on. I mean, you've talked to Tim Russ and <laughs> you've had, I mean, uh, you, you know, Rod Roddenberry on shows. Yeah, you, but, you, you hobnob with Larry Nemechek, the doctor of Trek all the time. So well, I, 
Paramount is not letting me direct the next Star Trek film. (laughs) Why am I in this thread? So I went over and I looked, and it's actually a case where Rich Handley is organizing a grassroots effort to get IDW to give the same treatment to the British Star Trek comic strips that appeared in the UK that they're giving to the current ones, the newspaper strips that came out in the US, that they've got two volumes out now. Apparently, the original plan was to put these out also, but it sounds like now that maybe the plan has been shelved. Yeah, Chris, it looks like that IDW is just not sure whether fans are going to be completely interested in in having this. Um, It is something that would be very rare. Obviously, a lot of Americans probably don't even know these existed. Uh, They came from the pages of magazines like Joe 90, Top Secret, TV 21, Valiant, and, and Mighty TV Comic. So none of those as an American have I ever heard of. And of course, you know, I didn't even know originally that Star Trek had been in newspaper strips until IDW and the Library of American Comics decided to print these that had all been running in U.S. papers, mm-hmm. one of them being like the L.A. Times, very, you know, early in the 80s. And so Having this, I think, would be really cool. Um, you know, one of the things I love that Rich says is these. some of these comics are just completely loony uh, and crazy, mm-hmm. but it is really neat to see just kind of what people imagined, you know, Star Trek to be without all of what we have now. I mean, even without, you know, having, say, the animated series, they just have the original series to go on and maybe the motion picture. So there's not a lot to go there. And, and, what happened in these comics, I think, would be just really interesting for posterity's sake. And one of the things about this is, Chris, these are even harder to find than the American strips. Oh, yeah, so I would imagine finding, so. Yeah, finding copies of these and then getting them um, printed and, and looking great as they did with the U.S. strips would be just as hard. So if this is something that you are really interested in, we just wanted to get this out there because... It is going to be have to be something that IDW knows that people want because it is probably going to take a lot of work. Yeah, I, I think exactly what you said. For the sake of posterity, I think that it should be done because any time that we can bring back strips that appeared in newspapers or articles that appeared in newspapers or anything related to Star Trek or talk to people, interview people who were involved in Star Trek on absolutely any level, I support it 100% because we want to preserve the entire history of Star Trek. I suspect that it's a financial challenge uh, or consideration for IDW. I don't know what the sales numbers are for the American newspaper strip books that they've put out. I suspect that the sales have not been huge because those books are sort of a niche product that they have created, but a very valuable one at the same time. So I I would hope that they would at least take these and make them available as digital comics only if they can't go into printing these hardcover books, because that's very expensive. You know, my background is in magazine publishing. So I know very well the costs associated with producing a hard copy of something and distributing that. But with digital, a lot of that cost falls away. So what uh, Rich is asking everyone to do is to let IDW and the 
library of American comics know that you would like to see these? And at the moment, he's proposing to contact them by email, by Facebook message, by postal letter, or whatever other method you want to use. I don't know, carrier pigeon, do they still use those methods? Yeah, probably owl post as well. Owl post. Yeah, or or which, you know, so... I like the get, owl get all the geeks involved from all yeah. the different universes, you know. Uh, yeah, we send yeah. it by Wookie if you have to. <laughs> make a Wookie mad if the Wookie wants you to make these books. You yeah, make these let, books exactly. Let the Wookie win. <laughs> right. So uh, I support all of these things. The one thing that I would also suggest, uh, Rich, if you're listening here is to do something like the Trek Collective is doing for Sean Taranjo and the USS Titan and the official Starships collection, which is to create a petition that people can sign. Just because I know from running this huge network that we have here and dealing with other clients and other people all the time that when everything gets fragmented and you have an email here and you have a Facebook post here, it's really hard to show someone the, the actual breadth of the support So in addition to all these things, I think we should all get together a petition where we can all go to one place and say, we want to see these. And that way, it'll be a little bit easier to show IDW that those out there who love the literary Star Trek really do want this book and will buy it, at least in digital format, if they put the money into restoring these and publishing them. Well, Chris, that is all that we have in news, but we did want to look at a little bit of listener feedback. Um, Our friend Stephen wrote us in and asked, Hi, regarding your reviews of the Mission Gamma novels, are you going to review Unity since it ties up the loose ends from the Mission Gamma arc? Chris, are, are we thinking about doing that? I'm pretty sure we are, unless the founders try to stop us from doing it. I, I don't know. Uh, well, of course, it probably depends as well if you've been replaced by one of them. I, I can't, I don't see that twitch you used to have in your left eye, so I'm a little worried. Um, but yes, Stephen, we, we will be doing that. Um, we are planning to finish the entire Deep Space Nine relaunch. That means all the way to the end, which the last book of kind of officially in that line was Never Ending Sacrifice by our friend Una McCormick. That'll be the last book that we do in the Deep Space Nine relaunch. Then we're thinking, Chris, that we'll probably jump into the TNG books uh, and, and, and kind of the multi-series uh, that, that starts with Death in Winter going mm-hmm. all the way through uh, some of those books, all, you know, Destiny, all that kind of thing. Um, you know, Titan at that point as well. Right, right. New Voyager. So sort of the post-nemesis reading list. Yeah, exactly. Reading. Um, yeah. And of course, still doing what we do, uh, which is intersperse older books, um, smaller ebook series, things like that mm-hmm. as well. Um, and of course, continue our to try, right, try to give you the widest variety that we can of the literature with with comics as well. So, so Stephen, I'm not sure if you're a relatively new listener or if you've been listening from the beginning. So if you haven't been listening from the beginning, since you're asking about the DS9 relaunch novels, if you go all the way back, we've done all of them up to this point, but it's over the course of at least a year or more. So if you look back, you'll find Avatar Book 1, Avatar Book 2, Abyss, the uh, short story Horn and Ivory as well. And then we did... um, What else have we done, Matthew, before Mission Gamma? Is there anything I'm missing? Um, 
well, there was the original Gateway book. Um, yeah, and the then there's the one. short story. And then the short story, mm-hmm. Born in Ivory, that was in the final mm-hmm. Gateways book. Exactly. And then Mission Gamma, we've done the first mm-hmm. two of those so far. So, so we'll be going on to Cathedral next. All right. So stay tuned for that, everyone. And Stephen, thanks so much for writing in. Everyone else, if you want to write in, ask us any questions, you have any feedback on the show, trek.film slash contact. That's where the form is. Choose to send to a show, choose literary treks. That comes to both Matthew and me by email. And of course, you can send us messages on social media at trekfm, facebook.com slash trekfm. And you can send us a voicemail also. Look in the left sidebar on the website and you'll see that. All right. Well, that is everything in news today, Matthew. Before we go into the feature, we need to tell everyone about our sponsor for today's show, audible.com. They're the best source for audiobooks that you can find anywhere online. And as a Trek FM listener, you can get a free audiobook of your choice just for trying Audible. The way you do that is to go to audibletrial.com slash trekfm and sign up and choose whatever book you like. They've got lots of Star Trek books there. They've got lots of science books and just any genre. They've got it all there. So Matthew, we recently recommended Mosaic because we're going to be doing that book here with Char and Tristan from To The Journey soon. Do you have something else you want to recommend this week? You know, Chris, I also thought about the fact that uh, Jerry Taylor wrote Pathways, which is kind of the background story for a lot of the different characters there on Voyager. And I always really enjoyed that. And and because I was just thinking again about Tristan and Char, to the journey, I thought we <laughs> should recommend Pathways. Yeah, Pathways is, again, a book that I read when it came out. I had it in hardcover. I haven't read it uh, since then. So I'm looking forward to it as well. And I'm going to, I don't know if I have that one in audio. I have Mosaic in audio. I'm going to pick up Pathways myself, listen to it. Great way to supplement reading the book. I like to do both, actually, read the book and listen to the audio. Yeah, you know, it is a great way, I think, to be able to get different aspects of the story kind of jump out to you um, in a way that you might not have thought of, um, just because you hear some, you might hear something a little bit differently. So I enjoy that as well. I, you know, I, I grew up listening to audiobooks when I was a kid, and every once in a while, it, it, especially if I'm on a long trip, it's oh, fantastic yeah. to have yeah. an audiobook. You know, and so what better way to say go on a trip or you know just do your commute than have a great Star Trek audiobook? And the great thing about Audible and just the digital age that we live in today is that you've got it right there on your device and you can just pull it up because I remember the days of having the cassette tapes and then you get to the end of one, you got to look in your bag, get the next one out, pop that into your Walkman. I'm glad you don't have to do that anymore. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) All right. So everyone go to audibletrial.com slash trekafilm and sign up and choose Pathways or anything else you want. You'll get that free. And if you decide not to stick with Audible after the trial, you'll get to keep that book. So there's nothing to lose. But when you do that, it really does help us keep the show coming to you every single week. So we really thank Audible for their support of literary treks. Also, one more thing while we're talking about ways you can help us out. Don't forget about our new home on Patreon. Patreon is a lot like Kickstarter, but it's a way for you to support the creatives that you love on a monthly basis. We currently have goals listed there on the page, as well as different milestone contribution levels and the perks that we'll give you back in exchange for your support. That's at patreon.com slash trekafilm, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash trekafilm. And we really thank everyone who's already 
contributed to us and uh, come aboard as a patron. And we hope that the rest of you listening who haven't done that yet will go check us out and give us whatever support you can because we we do the network for you guys. We do the shows for you guys. They're free for you, but they cost us a lot to produce and distribute. So we really can use any help that you can give us. And we really, really thank you very, very much for that support. Chris, in 2008, John Byrne decided it was time to finally follow up on that Star Trek Alien Spotlight comic that he did on the Romulans. And so his first series in that was The Hollow Crown, and that's what we're going to be talking about tonight. Um, This was his second miniseries to do. His first was actually Assignment Earth, which we've talked about. Um, Oh, yeah. This is a fantastic book. The series plays off the events of several TOS episodes, including the, uh, The Balance of Terror, well as the Enterprise incident, and explores the Klingon-Romulan alliance, especially some of the things that we see in the series where Romulans all of a sudden start to have a lot of Klingon ships, and Klingon ships start to have cloaking devices. And so this series really does a great job of kind of walking us through, okay, what is it that made the Romulans and the Klingons so chummy for a while that they would be sharing technology? And Mm -hmm. that's really what John Byrne gets into with these two issues. Now, I think, Chris, first, we say that we've only got two issues to talk about tonight, but I can't imagine a comic series with more jam-packed in it on every page than these two comics. What about you? Yeah, I don't know. We've read some older ones that have a lot more text, but in terms of what's actually happening in the story... I think that this story is a lot richer than those, even though some other ones that we've read, uh, you know, from the 90s, for example, some of the ones we read from PDF, from our uh, comics DVD that we have, can be a little bit more um, packed with things. I will say at the moment, with my vision the way it is, uh, I did have some trouble reading this comic (laughs) because of the amount of text that's on here and how small some of it is. But uh, but I made it through. Yeah, I, I think uh, you're you're right, Chris. That I think John does a great job of kind of jamming as much in there as he can. It's not as bad as some of those old comics you talked about, but I think story wise, what's going on here? It, it's not just the text, but it's it's the subtext of everything that's right, happening. Yeah, what's um, going on? And yeah. uh, you know, John is really creating and crafting a story here that's weaving together so much of the mythology of Star Trek, but we've never actually really seen on screen. It's just kind of been there and Mm -hmm. fans were kind of left shaking their head going, wait, I don't, why do Romulans have Klingon ships or when? So we find out that uh, Klingons were trying to use the Desilu props department for their own means, right? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Dang those Romulans. They were influence, influencing them. They had a mole exactly. there in the finance department as well. And <laughs> So just first off, uh, Chris, what are your general thoughts about the comic series? Well, I'm going to have to start off by judging this comic series by its covers Oh, excellent. And are you going to sing for us? They are so awesome that I have taken screenshots of them just so I can use them as the wallpaper on my iPhone. It really is. I, I agree with you, Chris. Uh, you know, I think that John really does a great job of capturing the likenesses of, of the characters. You know, we'll see Kor and Koloth in this. We'll see um, in his later Romulan series, actually, you see number one from The Cage. Uh, uh-huh. And so... 
Pike's original number one, her as a Commodore, and and she it looks very recognizable. Anybody she on here? Commodore that, one. Yeah, Commodore one. I I think that's what they call her. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Commodore number two, number three. They don't they don't actually have names anymore. They, they just, just number them. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Kind of like the Borg. Um, yeah, it's kind of like a taste of Armageddon. Yeah, there you go. What I love about this too is is not just the 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 cover art, which sometimes you'll look at a cover and it'll be fantastic, but all throughout the comic, the artwork mm-hmm. is fantastic. I mean, right here, Chris, we 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 are on. I think it's page three of the first comic, and the the Praetor just yelling with his face all scrunched up and like yeah. gnarly. I mean, yeah. that's th- I'm surprised that's not your iPhone cover right there. Is kind of creepy for me, actually. I I I don't want to look at that. I, I I think it's well drawn, but I don't want to look at that every day, Matthew. Mm-hmm. So what's interesting here is is what the Predator is yelling at is the the response of what's happened in that first Alien Spotlight comic, which happens mm-hmm. off screen, but basically it's the whole episode of Bouts of Terror. The the whole run in with the Federation there with Kirk and them seeing the cloaking device kind of in action for the first time. And what was so neat about that comic was just the way that the Romulan commander there is trepidatious about what this is going to mean for the future of the Romulan people, and especially in relation to the Federation. You Mm -hmm. can really get the feeling that he, uh, it's almost like um, a hunt for October situation. He feels like the ship is made specifically, you know, to, to destroy its enemy and started intergalactic war and he's very uncomfortable with that and then of course um gladly gives up his life i think and so that's what's so interesting is this comic just picks up right after that and the praetor is throwing a fit through this really beautiful do you know romulus was this beautiful no i didn't i we've never seen romulus look quite like this before yeah i mean i i think uh, John Byrne does a great job here of kind of creating the Romulan culture in a very rich and new way. I, I think that's the thing that I've loved so much about this this comic series and, and reading it. Um, it is it is very beautiful. I, I kind of want to go to Romulus now. You know, beforehand, <laughs> every time we see it, like in the next generation, yeah. the only time that I can think of the next generation that looks good is Nemesis. I can't stand right. Nemesis. But I love the way that they picture Romulus, that it's actually a place that you want to be. Yeah, this comic, nice man, just, I, yeah. I want to be on Romulus. And so uh, Praetor is throwing a fit. He's walking down the corridor. His people are all kind of looking at him like, I can't believe this guy's our leader. I know. <laughs> Which <laughs> well, is how awesome. I felt, too. I, I put myself there like I'm there in the room. Yeah. I would have had the same reaction to, to the way that he, he is. And not just because of this case. But you know he must act like this all the time. So everyone's probably talking about him behind his back all the time. And here he is. I mean, this page here is one of the very dense ones, but where he's mm-hmm. storming off across the chamber, he looks, it's like a five or six-year-old kid throwing a temper tantrum. Mm-hmm. Right. And I mean, and he, yeah, he's the leader. Yeah. And he smashes his little ship. And, <laughs> yeah, I wish someone had said, you broke your little ship. Right I now. know. Would have been great. <laughs> Um, the next page we end up and that Praetor ends up on a 
Klingon ship, which you're you're just definitely not expecting. The next thing that he knows, he's throwing a fit. And well, he wasn't expecting it either. Yeah. He got beamed up. I know he gets beamed up to this uh, this Klingon ship where he meets Captain Koloff, one of our famous Klingons that we we all know from the original series and. Koloth is is trying to to get the Praetor to understand that that one, you know, the the Klingons can help him. And two, he doesn't want the the widow and the son of the, the Romulan commander from the ship that's been destroyed to die. In fact, he thinks that the Praetor should marry her, which Right now, in when I'm when I'm reading this, you know, when I was reading this first time, I was like, "What? Where is this going?" I, I have no idea how this is all going to play out. But I, I like it because it's again, it's just there's a lot going on. It's really dense. Um, and uh, so they beam the Praetor back down, and and before he had left, he was like, "I want that son and that you know wife." of that stupid commander and I want them executed and I want it now. Um, So he comes back down and they're about to execute them and he stops them from, from executing. In fact, he shoots one of the guys who's about to execute him and and disintegrates him. Yeah, I was going to say, he doesn't just shoot him. He disintegrates (laughs) him and then acts like you fool. What are you doing? He says, is this how you treat honored guests? I'm sure it's the guy was disintegrating. He was like, it was your idea, sir. Yeah, that's exactly what his last thought was. But it was your idea. Um, You know, okay, so before we get too far away from it here, one thing that's interesting, and it's it's never blatantly pointed out, but if you look at the Praetor's reaction to being beamed up on the ship, and he's like, where am I? We're in orbit? You've kidnapped me. And then later on, I believe it's in the second part of this comic, uh, the son of the Romulan commander who we saw in Balance of Terror, who is now has his own command as the story goes along, he makes a comment about not liking to have his atoms scattered and thrown across the galaxy or thrown across space and says there are some things that maybe our Klingon friends should have kept to themselves. The implication here with both of these scenes is that the Romulans at this point in time do not have transporter technology and they get it from the Klingons. And I'm not aware of that ever being mentioned anywhere else in Star Trek. I think you're right, Chris. I was thinking about that when I saw that. Thought, hmm, really? But then Mm -hmm. when I thought about how much we actually know about the Romulans at this point, we know absolutely nothing. And they have a cloaking device. We know that. They may or may not be especially with tos they may or may not be related to the vulcans um Mm -hmm. because they look alike but that's really about it i mean uh, other than the fact that then they start running around in klingon ships i mean so we don't really know a lot about their technology their their people they're they're enigma they do say in here, John Byrne does present it as the Klingons are much more technologically advanced than the Romulans in this story. Yeah, it definitely at some points they, they really are. They, they have stronger ships and they, they have transport technology uh, and their empire is bigger. And mm-hmm. yet it is interesting. I think, uh, you know, the Romulans are in, in able to invent the cloak. 
which is, right. seems like vastly superior technology in some ways as well. So it's pretty interesting just kind of seeing but who's better. Right. But at the same time, a cloak is something that we, with our current level of technology here on Earth, will probably be able to invent. Maybe not necessarily to the point of hiding an enormous ship from the naked eye, but I've actually seen experiments here in Tokyo. They've done them in the park in the middle of Tokyo, where the scientists actually created like a Harry Potter type cloak had someone stand there, hold it open, and you could see right through the person because of the way it's refracting the light. And so I think that we would be able to build a cloak long before we could build a warp-capable ship or anything like the other transporter technologies or anything like that. So it might not really be such an amazing feat for the Romulans to have built a cloak before the Klingons did, even though the Klingons are more technologically advanced. Although it is very interesting to note that the cloak, when put into other ships, whether it's a Federation ship or a Klingon ship, is a huge drain on their power. Whereas mm -hmm. with the Romulan power systems, it's not. So they've engineered their ships kind of around the cloak and created a system that doesn't create this right. huge power drain mm -hmm. that happens on all these other ships that we'll see that are using a cloak. So I thought yeah. that was really interesting. Yeah. All right. Well, getting back to the story, though, so he comes in and he says, don't don't kill them. And he wants to play nice with them because he's realized it's in his best interest actually to kiss up to them. Right. Which is which is, you know, very interesting. And not only that, but he has a huge Mark Leonard statue put in the middle of right. you know downtown whatever do, um, do you think that's licensed from cbs i i don't know <laughs> the praetor it, has a license yeah it is <laughs> a ginormous statue and makes me wonder how quick they got that statue up i mean yeah he just changed his mind and they already have a statue there so that must be the one big ass well, industrial replicator <laughs> i got the impression that a bit of time had passed though here because he's a lot chummier with lady Arin, who is the widow of the romulan commander played by mark leonard in balance of terror at that point where they're out there and he's showing her the statue i mean she's still she's still kind of mean to him but you it feels like a bit of time had passed mm-hmm well, and, and what's interesting is, you know, after, you know, they build this huge statue, we end up with having the son serving on one of uh, the Romulan ships. In the, in the uh, another one of these little birds, birds of, prey of prey. Exactly. Building, yeah. That, uh, you know, they think basically is, is responsible for their, his, you know, his father's death, um, serving under, uh, you know, a friend of his father's. Um, and at this point, speaking of which, I got, did you get the feeling reading in here that a big insult might be to say, you son of a friend, because he keeps referring to him. Oh, you son of my friend. Oh yeah. Yeah. Not by his yeah. name. Well, yeah. You, you little son of a friend. Is that, is, <laughs> is, that a that's compliment? A, is that an insult on Romulus? I yeah, apparently like, no. it is. Uh, it's, <laughs> it's not cool uh, to be called son of a friend. Uh, forget any other son of, son of a friend on <laughs> Romulus. Um, so what was interesting here is they're playing war games with the Klingons, and the Klingons are kind of helping to, to, to train the Romulans 
to make them better ship to ship commanders. And, and I thought it was really interesting. Um, you know, the, the, the Romulan's cloak and they're trying to not be detected. And, and basically the, um, the Klingons, they feel like cheat and the, and the Klingons tell them, look, you, you know, you do whatever you can to win. That's, that's what you do, you know? Um, and I thought it was really interesting that uh, he says, the son says to the commander, Can you accept this commander? And he says, we must, that is my, what is my choice, Gaius? As long as the alliance with the Praetor continues, then we must learn to abide by the ways of the Klingons. And so just right, really right. seeing the Klingon and the Romulan people, the Klingons are really starting to kind of run things around here through the Praetor. It's very interesting in this story. Yeah. Were you able to follow that little war game scene completely, like what happened? Because I found, especially when the Klingons snuck up on them, I found the artwork and all a little bit hard to follow what, what was going on at the end of it. Yeah, it was it was kind of interesting. You know, the, I felt like what happened is that, you know, the they cloak the Klingon ship shoots kind of, you know, in, in a wide dispersal pattern. They yeah. see a disruption and they go under that disruption. Okay. And then they came and, up and then you see them shooting again. Exactly. And so okay. they, they had found a way to kind of figure out the cloak of the Romulans they, they're, they're in its weaknesses. So, yeah, yeah. it was. It, which was it, the it point is, of the war game. So. Exactly. Which, like you said, you know, following it, it's, it's a comic. Doing that kind of action is difficult, but kind of getting the, the whole crux of the matter was the Klingons are finding weaknesses here with mm -hmm. the Romulans, but finding the best ways, I think, to use the cloak as well, because later on we're going to see that the Klingons acquire the cloak. And so they're wanting mm -hmm. to know how this thing works. And so I think it's just very interesting. Next thing we see is, is that Koloth is, is trying to talk the Praetor into, you know, um, dating and, 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 and wooing the, the commander's wife, Lady Arwen, which I just thought was really interesting. He does the whole thing where he talks about how she has other qualities. I know, he and, shows the shape. It's like, yeah, he does the outline. Outlines yeah. the artwork. <laughs> and, uh, but before I that, he says, you know, she's intelligent. She, she has a strong following. She's made herself a very important mm -hmm. figure on Romulus. And she has other features as well. Yeah, which, it, you know, it, it's really interesting to see this whole scenario Koloth plays almost more like we'd see a Romulan. Very devious, um, very underhanded. He has That's this what I big elaborate too. plan, yeah. which I thought was very interesting. Well, I thought it was interesting because in this story, the Klingons are adapting themselves to the Romulans. They, they want to take a straightforward approach to things, but they understand that if we're going to get the Romulans to do our bidding for us, we're going to have to do as the Romulans do. And they do something that you don't see Klingons do very often, which is they they play the Romulan game. They're very devious and very sneaky. Yeah, and not only that, but they're realizing that they have to be that way if they want to find a way around the Organian Peace Treaty. You know, that, yeah, that's, that's the other thing goal. that we should mention that's going on here is that the Klingons are trying to find a way to circumvent the Organians. Going yeah. back to Errand of Mercy, um, and uh, so. We do see uh, Lady Arryn, and and she is giving a great big speech, 
ear in front of the the Romulan council. And after her speech, the Praetor invites her to dinner at his private residence and uh, puts the moves on her, basically. Yeah. Well, and she thinks she's going to be killed because before that, she's giving this speech to the Senate Mm -hmm. and she's pretty much bad-mouthing the Praetor. And she mentions that when someone's invited to the palace, it's a one-way trip. Mm-hmm. So she's really surprised when when he has a whole table set up there for two. Chris, this next scene in space, is this basically the episode Enterprise Incident playing out right here where the Enterprise is surrounded? And isn't that, isn't this where Kirk is stealing the... You know, that's... I don't think so. I mean, the scenario is the same, but... See, I don't know if it is, if it's intended to be the Enterprise incident and we're seeing it, you know, just from space and just from mm-hmm. one of the other ships, not the ship that Kirk and Spock visited to steal the cloaking device, mm-hmm. then John Byrne's taking a lot of liberty here because there are way too many ships. Okay. There are, how many am I counting here? One, two, three, four, five, six, yeah, there's a lot. seven. I see seven ships in the frame surrounding it. Now, there's eight. There's a tiny one in the background. And they mentioned earlier that they've built nine of these. So I got the impression here that all nine of them are there. And then the Enterprise runs away here as well, which could be like they got the cloak and then they ran off. Yeah, because this... I, I just the didn't know that this Kirk was a later incident. The Corbomite, you know, he says that... He does propose using the Corbomite like he did in the Corbomite maneuver. Yeah. So. I don't know. I I, th- I thought this was a different scene, though. Okay. Mm-hmm. So the next scene we see is is that some time is going to pass. Um, we're we're back to her, her son on the the Romulan ship. The Romulan ship has surrounded the Enterprise with a bunch of other Romulan warbirds, and Kirk pulls out this whole thing where <laughs> to get a, uh, to tell them, "Look, I'm uh, I'm surrounded. I'm I'm going to self destruct the Enterprise with our Corbomite device." It's been recently installed. It's going to explode this whole area of space. Uh, you probably won't want to be here for the next four solar years. Uh, and so it's going to happen in one minute. And <laughs> all of the Romulan commanders back off. And the kid is the only one who realizes, look, it's a trick. And he's like, yeah, it's a trick. Uh, he said they're using an old frequency. They're using old codes. He wants us to hear this. It's a trick. Yeah. And so, of course, it turns out that as they back up, the Enterprise speeds off. Speeds off, yeah. What would you do in that situation, though, Matthew? Because even though he's saying that, and as a reader, we we know, well, this is a trick. If I were one of those other Romulan commanders, I think I would back off, too. Like, it's not worth risking it in this situation. Because if it's not a trick, then all nine of these new ships are going to be destroyed. So just let him go. Well, and it's what little that we know of Romulans, this is what they would do as well. Instead of having their ship fall into enemy hands, they would commit ritualistic suicide and blow up their ship, you know, um, mm-hmm. because that's what we see in the balance of terror. So I think for them, this is playing out very much like what they would do. So I, mm-hmm. I think that's why the Romulan commander who has more experience is like, look, we're getting the heck out of Dodge because we've if this really is going to happen, like you said, we're not going to lose all these ships. Mm-hmm. So it was very interesting. Um, it was great too, because 
you know, afterwards, uh, the the Romulan commander kind of explains, look, I, I, I understand what you're saying. I know you want vengeance on Kirk, but, you know, we're, there's, there's no way we were going to risk this, basically what we were saying. And uh, they're going to be heading home. And it's been a long time since he's been home. So they he gets back to Romulus and he at a bar instead of going home first. So these Klingons start making fun of him about Kirk, who had his, you know, killed his father, he thinks. And the the the, the Praetor, who uh, obviously sent his father to his death. And they start making fun of him, in fact, too, about how basically his mom has been uh, hanging out with the Praetor. Yeah. So he rushes home to find his mom and the Praetor there. And she says... Uh, yeah. Um, so you've been away for a while and, uh, guess what? I'm going to be queen. <laughs> Praetor's going to be your new daddy. Yeah. Say hello to your new daddy, which is just so interesting. Um, and, uh, you know, then we end up on the Klingon ship and, and Koloth is, is sitting there. I love that he's smoking this strange Klingon pipe. Oh yeah. <laughs> and, uh, they're talking about how, um, their his plans are are working out beautifully, you know. Um, and they've been using all of these situations, the the things that happened with the Federation and Kirk, and with this family, and they're all using it against each other. And we have Koloff beam over to another ship, another Klingon ship, and it turns out that it's Core, and Core is the man kind of who has been helping Koloth with his big plan and really supporting him. And well, I think Kor feels like he's the one really in charge of this whole thing. Yeah, operation. exactly. Even though Koloth is the one doing all the dirty work. Yeah. Uh, and it says to be continued. And of course, we, yeah. we hop right to issue number two. You know, this final, uh, this picture of Kor at the bottom of that final page, you need to take a screenshot of that, trim out the, uh, the white background where the uh, speech bubbles are. That'd make a great avatar. A uh, creepy one. <laughs> I can think what of some better is- avatars, Chris, in this new in this <laughs> second issue. So what you need is make that your avatar, and then just try talking to women on Twitter and see how they react to it. Yeah, yeah. There we go. Oh gosh, it is pretty creepy, isn't it? It is really creepy. Right. That or have that one where the Praetor's like yelling, you know. Oh gosh! Just yeah. <laughs> this one's so, creepier though because of the the grin really, and the little teeth and the really mustache creepy. and all. So okay. So what's really interesting, Chris, is is we have the second issue here, and it starts with kind of a continuation. The, the Klingon ship here is is doing something in space, and then we see the very next page that it, they are testing now the Romulan cloaking device, and mm-hmm. they're they're testing it, and they're about to test it on a. It, a federation ship now whether or not it's actually uh, a starfleet ship it doesn't really look like that it looks like it's a, it's a cargo vessel um yeah I, I think they mentioned that it is later on they mentioned that it is a cargo it's a freighter an unarmed freighter um but it's a, it's a starfleet looking design maybe it like is a very much ship. yeah yeah and so they are they are using uh, this basically as target practice and to see just how well their their the new cloak works. And they're finding out, mm-hmm. like we were talking about, that the Romulan cloak doesn't really work as well 
inside, you know, a, a different ship. So it, it drains a lot of power and they're still trying to figure out the, the power fluctuations that you get when you try to go from, you know, being seen to being cloaked to being seen again and, and all that goes along with that. So I thought that was kind of realistic that you can't just, you know, right. you know, we see in Star Trek so many times you take a piece of technology from a completely alien ship and you just plug it into your USB drive as if it, you know, <laughs> right, we've right. all got USB threes. Yeah. You know, what's interesting too is that the freighter, the crew of the freighter mentioned that now they're picking up this strange energy distortion. And apparently this is something the Klingons never really quite figure out because it's the same way that Sulu spots the bird of prey in the search for Spock. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Uh, it is, it is, I didn't catch that, but you're right. Mm-hmm. Um, next thing we do is we, we jump, straight back to Romulus where the Praetor and Lady Aaron are, are talking and she makes him promise that when they get married, that her son Gaius will be the Praetor when he is dead. And, um, you know, he, he says, you know, yes, yes, I've, I've sworn as much a hundred times. You, know, you can just hear the oily voice that he probably yeah, yeah, has. Yeah. Um, and so he gets interrupted by one of the centurions. They bring him a message, and it turns out that this message is from her son, Gaius. And uh, they've been testing the Klingon cloaking device. I mean, they've been testing the cloaking device on the Klingon ship that he's with, and they are responsible for this, you know, freighter being destroyed. And she is, is not very happy. One, because... I don't think she likes her sons all the way out there right now. I don't think she thinks he's ready. Right. But two, he keeps trying to promote her son. Like he's like, oh, he's got his own ship now. And then when he gets back, I think I'll promote him to Admiral of the Fleet. And she's mm-hmm. like, no, you you can't keep taking my son and making him, you know, Admiral and Captain and all these things before he's ready. Look, we have lots of military blood in our family, but my son needs to follow the same, you know, step that everybody else does. Yeah, he would want That's to not, earn it, she yeah, says. Exactly. That's not why I'm marrying you. Which yeah. I thought was was good on her part because you can tell she is really playing her part here. Uh there's oh, yeah. there's a point where he kisses her and her face looks <laughs> I know. like like she just saw the angel of death. Yeah. And then and then she runs outside and bends over a railing and vomits. They don't show her vomiting, but you can tell that that's what happened. And then these Klingons walk yeah. up to her and she's kind of wiping her mouth. And she says, you know, the food here at the yeah. palace is still a little bit too rich for me. What I love, too, is that this is the point of the story where we realize that, that Lady Aaron has a, a plan of her own. And we see her go on, uh, there's a beautiful page here that doesn't even have any text where she's kind of going through the city. She's cloaked, um, you know, you can, you can barely see her face and she's making her way to, to find um, uh, an underground cell. And Again, when you say she's cloaked, do you mean she's wearing a cloak? Yes, a very large cloak. I don't mean like she's cloaked as if she has a personal cloaking device. No. (laughs) Uh, She's not wearing one of those isolation suits from Insurrection. Oh, yeah. Like Data. No. Right. Uh, (laughs) So uh, she goes into this uh, resistance cell, basically, uh, of people who are disenchanted with the Praetor. 
and they give her this tiny little device, um, which we have no idea what it is yet. And, um, we still don't know what the plan is at this point, which I think is really interesting. They, they keep kind of building layers upon layers here. John does. And I really like that. Um, so that the son gets home and, and, um, he's, he's meeting people as he's getting home. He, he actually meets a friend of his and they have a few laughs before he walks off and her, his mother is still going out and doing these underhanded things. In fact, uh, she is at probably the ugliest Romulans place ever. This Romulan looks like it's 365 billion years old. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, and, uh, yeah, it's like it's uh, cr- it, it. What's great about it is it it looks a little bit like something out of a fairy tale almost. Right, you know? right. Like, yeah, she goes it's to like a, a witch's place. Uh, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? Yeah, like this, the the very old, like a witch who is creating potions because that's what she's actually getting from this person is mm-hmm. some sort of potion that's going to melt the Praetor later on at the end of the comic. Exactly. Um, and what's really interesting is just kind of the way that they, the Klingons continue to play everything here. And mm-hmm. so the, the, the sun goes to see uh one of the klingons here and he shows him a picture of kirk he says do you know who this is and he gives him what he says is a message about what happened the day his son i mean the day his father was killed and he plays the message and it it if we know from the balance of terror this is absolutely not right what happened but it's, it's supposed to be a recording of the actual ship-to-ship communication between the enterprise and the romulan ship because they claim that there was a klingon ship there also that was was hidden anyway and was watching them and recorded it. exactly yeah. and basically it is the you know the romulan commander saying look i'm i'm uh, you have victory i'm going to withdraw and kirk you know, basically blasts him out of the sky saying, learn how Kirk treats his defeated enemies. Phaser control, fire all weapons. Are you sure he didn't get a recording of the exact same events from the mirror universe? See, that's what I was thinking. Like, are we sure that Klingon wasn't accidentally like in the mirror universe? And mm-hmm. so because that's what I think happened. ISS Enterprise Kirk might have said that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. I like, by the way, when they show the holographic projection of kirk it's of course him from erin to mercy where he was introduced as bariner as an organian but this is really james kirk and then the romulan says Mm -hmm. he is no romulan and he is too pale and hairless to be one of yours Mm -hmm. exactly um well and like an underhanded romulan insult to the klingons i think it is i think think it is which obviously the Klingon didn't even pick up he didn't on. He's not right over his head. Yeah, <laughs> um, he just can't. He can't understand metaphors. Um, so Gaius, being all upset, goes to the Praetor and asks basically to be able to take his ship and destroy and you know Kirk to find Kirk, hunt him down to destroy him. And the Praetor says that he'll think about it. Um, and what's really interesting here too is. The Klingons are smart enough to realize that the Praetor has a cousin 
who is going to be basically pushed out of the line here for the throne. And they use this guy um, for later on in the story, because what's going to happen is they're going to get married. When he gets married, he won't be able to be on the line for the throne anymore to be Praetor. They're going to have him try and assassinate the son, but the son won't even know about it. The Klingons will kill him and get him out of the way as well so that everybody else who could have been Praetor will be out of the way. Mm-hmm. And the the son basically can be the Praetor in the end. That that's what the Klingons are working for here, which I think is so interesting. What, yeah, there's no what, way the Praetor could flip after the marriage and exactly. say, oh, on second thought, I'm going to let my cousin right have it exactly. Um, and I think the most interesting thing is as well is the only thing in the story that the Klingons I don't know have a direct part of is the fact that Lady Arryn is planning to kill. Oh, I don't think they have any idea about that. They don't have any idea, but it works into their plans perfectly because Mm -hmm. on their wedding night, she um, uses the poison that she's gotten in one of the most seductive scenes I've ever seen in a (laughs) a Star Trek comic. Yeah. And um, she kisses him. He dies one of the most horrible deaths ever. Or reminded me of Nemesis. Yeah, it. Well, I don't think it's the same effect exactly, but it was yeah. really quite similar. Right, and it's it's not it's not quite the same, but it 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 is a device which completely obliterates a place. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought what was so interesting well, is no, that before that, it's like the whatever she got from the old witch guy that it was like. What is it? Did she put it on her lips or something? How did it not it affect? Does, her? It does look like it is a. It is, it is putting on this she, this lipstick, mm-hmm. and then she goes over, and then he's there, real creepy. Does is it just me, or does he spend too much of this comic in his bathrobe? Uh, way too much time in yeah. his bathroom. Um, I, she could spend more time in her bathrobe, but he definitely spend <laughs> well, less. Matthew, I don't even think that qualifies as a robe. Probably not. There. Um, I don't. What is that like? Is it a napkin that's just yeah. draped? Oh, I don't know. I don't but know what it is. She walks over and he's there and he says, well, my dear, are you at last ready? And she <laughs> says, I am. Though I very much doubt that you are. Exactly. Um, and what's so cool is that she kills him with this poison. He dies a horrible death. And she has gotten a Klingon device that will, when this explosion is studied it will look like the the klingons has, have caused it her her real mm-hmm. goal here is one to have her son basically be praetor but two to have the klingons off her world right she wants she to get rid of the klingons exactly what's been going on and that right. the klingons really are trying to basically without ever firing a shot take over not only the Romulans, but really start a war with the Federation. I, she can see all that. Well, she they want to fight a war against the Federation by proxy using the Romulans because that's how they can get around the Organian Treaty. Mm-hmm. Well, and then what's so interesting uh, is that the the Klingons use their mind sifter on... Did we mention the mind sifter? Yeah, which we're here. Um, they use the mind sifter on a guy who was, uh, as the son says, this man's brother was my father's oldest and most cherished friend. Um, and so 
they they say that he was the one responsible for the destruction of the Praetor and his mother. And um, obviously, too, we've sh- they say we've shown you it. the Mind Sifter is an infallible Praetor. Um, I know it's difficult to believe. And so the first thing that he does is Praetor. It's been a few months now is that he says that, um, you know, he is going to basically make uh, the the Federation pay for what they've done. And I love that Kor and Koloth are in the corner going, and thus we circumvent the meddling Organian. Exactly. Make the Federation and Kirk pay for the, fil- the humiliations they have heaped upon us. Exactly. And so it reminds me of that. We did those, was it Blood Will Tell, the comics where we titled the episode, Kirk Keeps Screwing Up Our Family. <laughs> I think that that, I think, yeah, I think that was the one. Um, so, but in the end, in this part of the, the story, which will be continued in the next comic series that John Byrne did called Schism, Romulan Schism. But in this part of the story, the Klingons have gotten exactly what they want. So they think, everything is perfect because although his mother wanted to get the Klingons, set the Klingons up and get them off of Romulus, her son at this point is just really focused on getting Kirk and which is what the Klingons want. Right. Which is, which is so interesting. When you look through this comic, you can see how the the Klingons have taken all of these people and their weaknesses and really turned them against themselves. And it is really interesting, and I think that's what makes this such a great comic is that John Byrne really has layers upon layers of what's going on in each of the different scenes. And so as you're reading it, you're kind of seeing all the motivations of the different characters. And I, I think it really is fantastic. You know, if if I were... Uh, you, we've been reading Star Trek comics for quite a while now, Chris, and I have to say this is one of the very best that I've ever read, especially when I take it in conjunction with what we saw in the Alien Spotlight Romulan issue and what I know is coming because I've read it, um, the Schisms comic. The way this all flows together is incredible. Um, And so, but even if I'm just reading this series, it really is fantastic. And I think the main part of it is, is that we're, learning about Romulans. You know, this is a fascinating civilization that we barely know anything about in Star Trek. They're mm-hmm. they're hardly ever used. Unfortunately, I felt like when they were used with Nemesis, they're pushed aside for a you know, a part of them that we never even knew existed, the Remans right. and then a and a yeah. hard clone. So Well, we got Donatra though. Which was the best part of the movie, if you mm-hmm. ask me. I mean, um, Diana Meyer is 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 Denatra was fantastic, and so, um, yeah, this comic. I mean, gosh, if I were to rate this comic, I would say this is ten out of ten Romulan companions. Very nice. Well, I'm going to give it nine deadly kisses. Oh, that's a good one. <laughs> yeah, I agree. It was a it was a really good story. It's it's a it's a great story, and that's what I that's what sets it apart from a lot of other comics. You know, I'm not crazy about the artwork in every spot, which is why I give it nine and not ten. But in terms of of crafting a story and leading you through, where you're not quite sure what the twists are gonna be, and the fact that within the story. One of the parties, the Klingons, don't even really know what's going on and what they've gotten themselves into. 
by the end was also really cool. So, so Chris, yeah. if you don't mind me asking, um, was there a specific scene uh, for you artwork wise? Because for me, that was one of the highlights. I, I felt like I loved the artwork on almost every page. Yeah, I don't know. There are just some spots where I feel like some things could have been drawn better. There are a few that creep me out a little bit, which I'm not crazy about. That's true. Yeah. But no, I mean, it's it's great. It's There are just a few spots in there where I felt like those frames didn't quite right. live up to the others around them. Okay. No, right. I understand. Nothing yeah. major. Nothing major. On a whole, I, I think uh, that's the other thing that does work for me. Uh, the creation of the the Romulan culture here that we see, Romulus itself, I think, looks fantastic. John Byrne does a great job of world building here uh, mm -hmm. because, we again, we haven't seen a lot of Romulus. And when we have, it's pretty dour and, and like, I don't know, this looks like the worst Cold War Soviet-era town you could ever live in especially like in the next generation you know it's just yeah. like this very symmetrically blocked square buildings it doesn't look like a place i want to be but this well, romulus you know they use the romulans so infrequently that it wasn't something where they could really put a lot of money into creating probably the, true the place yeah. and so as long as it worked for the setting they needed for that story yeah, they didn't elaborate. That's why when we get to Nemesis and it's a it's a focal point at the beginning, and they put all the money into it, then it yeah, oh, so beautiful. Yeah. All right. Well, well, that was fine, Matthew. And we will come back around down the road at some point. We'll talk about Schism, the final part of this. There are three comics in that series, but we've been talking about a lot of other things on the network this past week. So here's a quick look at some other things you may have missed elsewhere on Trek FM. Previously on Trek.FM, Standard Orbit. And like we were so busy, I, we didn't eat like all day. <laughs> I had yeah. a Red Bull around five o'clock right before the parsecs. Uh, I could feel my teeth like tingling. Yeah, yeah. It was weird. Earl Grey. He was robbing the bokle, as, as they say it in, uh, in Klingon. <laughs> I, that's a Klingon word I just made up, just to see that. I think we could tell. The Orb. What I also liked, too, was that Nog said, put that in there, too, to Jake, and let people decide. And that just summed up DS9 for me, because DS9 is, you know, we're not going to tell you for sure he's a bad captain, even though, obviously, I think most people would agree that he was. To the journey! Oh, yeah, Bellana's reading romantic fanfic. Not everything is fanfic, okay? This yes, could be is. a legitimate author with a legitimate publisher. <laughs> No, this is Klingon Harlequin. You know it is. Warp 5. The Orions, there's something really complex going on within their society, and there's a long-term struggle where the women have flipped the table on the men. And how does that all play out? And it's something where I wish Enterprise had gone for seven seasons and they could have continued to revisit this and we find out more and more. The Ready Room. You know, people have seen that image. That, that image in particular, just that still of her with the Desilu yeah. logo over it is really iconic. Mm -hmm. And in fact, what I discovered is it's not a still. It's probably 26 different stills. Commentary, Trek stars. A number of scenes uh, from especially the end of Into Darkness are sort of lifted and adapted from Wrath of Khan to be used in this story. Lifted and Google translated into this version. Literary Treks. 
we all know Troy gets all the, the men that come on, the, the, the all the envoys, actually. You, you notice that she really likes these bad boy envoy men, you know? <laughs> she does. Continuing mission. How is Spock changing? How is he changed from the moment he met Captain Kirk from the, the, the non-mirror universe? What is his ultimate goal? Axanar, the official podcast. So basically, you've got this souped-up computer with this lens on the front of it. And um, because the resolution has increased so much with these cameras, the amount of data coming out of that camera is enormous. And join us in welcoming aboard Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. I'm really, really glad that you mentioned Parliament Funkadelic. I could not watch this at all without thinking about George Clinton. Yeah, uh, just every time he talks about going to Parliament, I'm like, yeah. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, I I would, who wouldn't want to go? And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. So check out all of these shows and find out what we're talking about in your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe. You can find us everywhere you get your podcasts. If you really want to help us out, if you use iTunes, please drop by and subscribe. iTunes is the primary place, actually, statistics show where people get their podcasts. And iTunes is my personal favorite place as well. So if you can drop by and subscribe, that helps us out a lot. And if you can leave us a review there at the same time, we would love that as well. That helps us rise up in the rankings and it helps other people find the shows. We're also available in all sorts of other places, Stitcher, TuneIn, SoundCloud. We're all over the place. Just search for Trek.fm and the name of the show you want to listen to, and you'll find us there. And don't forget to pick up the Master Feed. The Master Feed contains every episode of every show that we do, as well as some other special content from time to time. And now you will also get Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast in the Master Feed, as Mission Log is now a member of our network, and we're so happy to have John and Ken here with us. So if you listen to Mission Log and Trek FM, the Master Feed is your one-stop place now. Matthew, we covered some feedback already in the show earlier, so we would just like to remind everyone, if you'd like to share your thoughts on the show today or send us any questions, you can do that by going to trek.film slash contact. Use the form that you find there. Choose to send to a show and choose Literary Treks, and that'll come to both Matthew and me by email. You can also find us in social media. Our username on Twitter is trekfilm, facebook.com slash trekfilm. We're also on G+, and you can send us a voicemail. If you look in the left-hand sidebar on the website, you'll see the widget for that, or go to speakpipe.com slash trekfm, and you can record your voicemail right there and upload it to us from the page as an MP3 file. Other ways you can help us out, as we talked about briefly in the news, is by going to Patreon, where you'll find our goals and different levels of support that you can give us on a monthly basis, and the perks that you'll get in exchange. That's at patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com. And we really appreciate any support that you can give us there. And I think you'll really like the perks that we have set up for you. So please go check those out. And then also there's our sponsor, audible.com. You can pick up Pathways or anything else that you want absolutely free as a Trek FM listener. Just go to audibletrial.com slash Trek FM and sign up today. You can leave if you don't like Audible, if you decide not to stick with them. And no worries there. You'll get to keep that book. So there's nothing to lose. But just by trying Audible, you'll be helping us keep the network going and keep literary tracks coming to you every single week. Now, Matthew, when you're not, uh, you know, trying to uh, figure out where you can buy an outfit, just like the one that Lady Aaron wears here in the comic, where can people find you? Well, Chris, you can find me on 
Twitter at MattRushing02. You can also find me doing The Orb with you where we talk about Deep Space Nine quite a bit, so you can find me there. And also, I've got my own personal comic. (laughs) You got your own personal comic now, Matthew? Tell us, what is that about? Don't put that in the show. (laughs) Oh, come on. I want to put it in. I want to know what your comic is about. (laughs) Well, Chris, my comic is about me. I'm a superhero. And really, it's just my joy of, of, you know, being being what I've always wanted to be, which is a superhero. No, Chris, I I misspoke there. I've got my own personal website. So um, if you'd like to just follow me there and look at some of my different reviews for movies, books, all that kind of thing, you can take a look at me there at, at 42lifeinbetween.wordpress.com. Now, Chris, when you're not hanging around the house in a bathrobe that everybody wishes you weren't hanging out in uh, (laughs) so much, where can people find you? Yeah, I like to be like the Praetor here and keep the front just completely open all the time, at least from waist up, which uh, I have to tell you this Praetor... (laughs) He really did not need to be doing that. And I think Lady Aaron should have called him out on it at some point. <laughs> I'm sorry, listeners. I can't help it. That's one of the funniest things I've heard all day. <laughs> oh, man. This, pr- this Praetor, he was like a creepy old troll, right? Oh, my gosh. Chris, if there was ever a creepy old man in a comic that you just didn't want to be there... This was the comic. I, it yeah. was just the creepiest thing I've ever seen. It really was. All right. No, don't worry. I will not do that. <laughs> With the robe, so don't worry. You can find me on Twitter. My username is C Brian Jones, the letter C and Brian with a Y. I'm also on Facebook, facebook.com slash C Brian Jones. And I have my own website at cbrianjones.com. And then elsewhere on the network, I do lots of shows, of course. The Orb with Matthew, which we just mentioned. Also, Warp 5, Continuing Mission, Matterstream, Hyperchannel, The Ready Room, and the official podcast of Star Trek Axanar, which I co-host with Alec Peters. So check all those things out if you want to find out what else I'm talking about. So, uh, well, Matthew, I guess, you know, we kind of did our ending in reverse order here today, plugging our sponsor and everyone up front. So uh, that's all we have. I'm going to go and uh, hang out in the, the beautiful opulent palaces on Romulus. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. And until next time, live long and read on. What do you call that light reading? To each his own, number one.